to Making the Brand, the podcast where marketing and pop culture collide. I'm your host, Brianne Fleming. I can't wait to chat about brands, boy bands, and everything in between, because brands who have a pulse on pop culture can create adoring fans of their own. Today's episode of the Making the Brand podcast is to celebrate the iconic coming-of-age movie from 1995, the one, the only, Clueless. And who better to do that with than my friend and Clueless superfan, you might say, Julia Chesky. Welcome to the show, Julia. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to talk about a movie I talk about at least one month out of every year of my life for the last 25 years. It's so relevant. And it's funny, we were just talking about how you are a podcast virgin, and you even found a way to relate that back to a clueless quote, which I just loved. It's it's true. I can't quote things very well, but I know references, so I'm always like, eh, it checks out. Yeah, yeah. So we were tweeting together about the 25th anniversary of Clueless. Can you believe it's been 25 years? It's just And I still look 25 with no work. Yeah, absolutely. I'm giving up my own age by giving people numbers. But yes, it's very exciting that this movie has withstood the test of time and in many ways, a lot of cultural shifts. Yeah. And we're going to unpack all those things. But first, I want to learn more about you because I think you and Miss Cher Horowitz have a lot in common because you both love fashion and photography. There's that scene in Clueless where Cher's getting her friends together for a little photo shoot. So can you tell us more about your background? Yeah. So I'll introduce myself. Hi, everyone. I'm Julia Chesky. I am a Parsons-educated photographer that somehow got involved in the world of marketing, and I focus on creative strategy for brands. So I wear many hats, but not actually because I have curly hair, so it doesn't look good. And I essentially tell brands what to do, mostly in the digital space, so that they can communicate with their consumers in a more authentic and interesting way. I love that. And I've seen some of your work. I've checked out your portfolio site. You are just such a talented photographer. I just love the diversity of your portfolio from your product shots to fashion. You've worked Fashion Week. It seems like you've had quite a fulfilling career so far. Yeah, it's it's been incredible knowing that I wanted to spend my life in fashion actually since watching Clueless when I was nine years old. And actually achieving that is pretty crazy. I hope younger me is happy, but also knows that we didn't get everything we wanted, but got pretty close. Yeah, you're doing just fine. So That reminds me, let's talk about your memories of growing up watching Clueless. Would you say that it inspired you to get into fashion? Yeah, absolutely. So I have a lot of memories. Like I keep saying this. For the last two years, I've been saying, for better or worse, this movie has shaped my life. I sometimes curse it and sometimes I'm like, yeah, it's great. It did. It fulfilled my life in a different way. I think that I don't know if I would actually care about fashion or being artistic as if it wasn't for discovering this movie when I was nine. I always marched to the beat of my own drum. Um, I'm an immigrant. I came to this country in 1990 when I was four. My mom was 29. We had $200 in zero English. So it's not like I grew up in luxury or wealth of any sort. So it's not like I was also growing up in pop culture. So when I saw this movie just by accident, I think a friend showed it to me. It was the same year it came out. 
it really opened up my eyes to this world that I didn't know existed. I was throwing up the whatever W's like it was my job. You know, I really think one of the most prolific memories I made as a young child was learning about Calvin Klein. And I know a lot of people don't realize in 95, we didn't have access to the internet. We had to go to libraries and look at things. So there was no way for me to learn about Calvin if it wasn't for opening a, a magazine or being somewhere where they're talking about him. So he was the first designer I ever learned about. I apologize to Mr. Aliyah because I didn't know what that was until my teenage years. And I think that's fair <laughs> for a nine-year-old to not grasp that. But when she said, you know, says Calvin Klein, I realized like that's what I want to do with my life. I wanted someone to reference my name as the reason for, you know, whatever they were wearing. And that dress still haunts me. They released it a few years ago, gosh, maybe a decade ago actually at Calvin. And I really wanted it, but I still couldn't do it because it was like $1,000 and I was in college. But in general, I think that it really opened me up in a way that I don't think any other movie could have because I just saw so much of the desire of self, even though I don't look like Cher and I look a lot more like Ty. I think my personality is aligned with Cher and I think a lot of my personality still is aligned with Cher. So I have an unnecessarily complicated relationship with this film, but it is one of my favorites and I think, and I hope it always will be. It always feels like I'm watching it for the first time and it brings me a lot of really strange joy. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate that so much because I feel like people underestimate just how much a piece of pop culture can influence your life. And like, I feel kind of like a dork sometimes always tweeting about boy bands and all these random things. But, you know, I grew up reading teeny bopper magazines and that's why I got interested in copywriting or fashion too. It's the same thing. So it's not really silly. We're just influenced by our experiences, no matter what those might be. Absolutely. I think it just seems silly to people who choose to not understand it or again only see it for something that's vapid or valueless because they can't position themselves in someone else's shoes. Mm -hmm. Those people are clueless. That's what I would say. <laughs> for sure. So why do you think this movie has had such staying power? Why is it so iconic all these years later? So quotable. I mean, the gift game is strong. It's just a classic. But why? You know, there's, it's like a very heavy layered cake. You have the language, you have the level of self-discovery that we all went through, whether it was in middle school, high school, even as adults, we're always trying to find ourselves and better us, ourselves in some way, hopefully. So there, it, that language never really changes. And then the fact that the issues still remain the same, we're dealing with insecurities, we're navigating female friendships and relationships, we're figuring out the opposite sex, you know, there's self-evaluation and evolution. And I think, you know, the way that fashion was merged into this movie as its own character is what makes it stand out from a lot of films. In my opinion, it created a blueprint for a lot of teen movies afterwards. Like the fashion was always yeah. important, but never as a character. And I think that when you look at a lot of footage from it back then, a lot of people were like, it was a character and we didn't realize what we were doing. I also think that, you know, you have someone like Paul and even Donald who had his hit with Scrubs, they had such massive success afterwards. So people will want to go and find movies from their youth and rediscover it, which is really great. So, you know, the importance of good casting. And I also think that, 
even though it's not discussed for some reason, it feels like it's been swept under a rug, but like they had a TV show for three seasons and it was on TGIF, which was such a huge deal. You know, you go to ABC and, you know, as you and I discussed privately before this, it's not on any streaming service. And you had a lot of the original cast, like Brittany Murphy was in it and you, you know, Donald was in it and you had like, you know, a girl who looked like a copy and paste of Alicia Silverstone. It was super crazy, but it worked. And she had her same like effervescent, um, energy and it kept telling the story and I think that watching that show really helped shape shape my love for it even further as a legacy film for me mm-hmm. yeah you're right I mean it did launch so many actors and actresses even just thinking about Brittany Murphy I mean she tragically passed away but she still had a pretty solid body of work after this movie and I can only imagine what her career would have been like but Shout out to Amy Heckerling, who is the director of Clueless. And some people might not know that Clueless is actually based on a Jane Austen novel from 1815. And Amy Heckerling just wanted to relate it to modern teenage culture. So it makes me wonder if 25 or 50 years from now, if the teenagers of the future, if it'll even be remade then to match their lifestyle. I think so. I also think like, there's a like, like there's such a beautiful level of innocence of things that we no longer do like we no longer have to look at a, a physical map which i remember doing when i was a kid we have in our cell phones and we don't have you know phones that only make calls or a pager that just gets a quick message like we it's it's amazing to see how far we've come and even in 25 years and also like crave that simplicity at the same time because we're so complicated and so connected these days that i kind of on a flip phone and a pager so that like I can be left alone but I don't think my addiction to my cell phone will actually allow for that but I think I think it's it's a really cool thing well getting mugged is probably a good time to have a cell phone which Cher did not she had a call using a pay phone so (laughs) and I also got mugged in LA in October of last year so Cher and I have that going for us I luckily had my cell phone (laughs) to rescue you weren't in the Alaya then (laughs) I was not in an Alaya I was hiking on Runyon um and yeah I mean that's a whole other episode (laughs) yeah yeah we'll get to that part two (laughs) but uh I was trying to find some storytelling parallels here And just the fact that Amy Heckerling loosely based Clueless on Jane Austen's novel Emma, I think this reminds us that there's great stories all around us that we can always find different ways to reinvent and make old stories new again. So maybe we'll get a reboot. I think we saw some rumors that Netflix might be doing an original, so we'll see. But let's talk about personal branding for a second, because Cher seemed to just effortlessly have her personal brand down. What are some traits about Cher that anyone could apply to their personal brand that you've picked up on? Absolutely. So I have a lot of thoughts on this. (laughs) I I know everyone's really shocked. She's like, (laughs) please make her stop talking. I I promise you we're in for an hour, guys. So welcome to my brain. Um, But really for me, it's the hard work and knowing yourself and having fun. I think that's what makes a strong personal brand. If you're not having fun, what you're uh, like, what you're working in when it's a personal project that you're trying to get out, it's going to be really difficult for you as an entrepreneur, a creator, whatever it is. You just have to have fun. I find that overall controversial, maybe, but social media has stunted a lot of people's self-discovery, and they find a niche that works for them or worked for someone else. 
and they kind of just stick to it and they're scared to get out of it. And they refuse to evolve out of a fear of losing their audience or, you know, not having the imagination to continue growing with their audience, which is how a lot of people kind of like get really big and then fade out because the 13 year olds don't want to see that when they're 18. So I think that with Cher, what's fantastic is that she, there's so much character development. She starts off being like, it's all about me. No, it's all about me fixing everyone. Can it be about me? Oh no. How do I make people think I'm better than I really am when it's just like, it was always there. It's just, she didn't know how to get to it. Yeah. So I think that personal brands have turned into like maintaining engagement instead of maintaining self. And that's what I hope people can learn from. And I can go into a further rant about, you know, the landscape and how it's split right now, especially with Black Lives Matter and COVID um, and really just discussing that I've anticipated the landscape to split for a very long time. There's just, it was not sustainable method like we can't all just keep doing the same content and definitely people get bored trends change and all that good stuff but I think when you have people who are not able to get out of building these cookie cutter castles that they've put themselves into they can't develop into a personal brand because you also as a person don't want to do what you were doing 10 years ago or five years ago even one year ago and I think again when you look at someone like Cher you look at a really fast evolution over, I'm guessing, a semester of school, but, but the desire for growth. And I think that that's what makes a personal brand super important is that desire for, for growth and exploration. Yeah. And letting yourself really evolve. I mean, we talk a lot about sticking to your niche. And I also think we forget to give people that creative liberty to evolve your niche or to adapt over time. Because at the end of the day, we're still human. We have different chapters of our lives. I was just thinking about this this morning as a big Taylor Swift fan, just seeing the evolution of her albums and her latest album that just came out this week, Folklore, is so vastly different from, you know, kind of the teen angsty stuff she had in the beginning of her career from on her first album. So you can still put your art out there, but give yourself that freedom to evolve how you express yourself. I agree. And I think like, you know, you can grow, you can feel uncomfortable, you can share, you can scale, you can thrive. And I made a note said like, get out of being a Monet and become the artist of your own life. Oh my God. That's just a tattoo in the making. I, I, someone's (laughs) going to be like, uh, but no, I listen, I'm trying to relate it back to clueless guys. Bear with me. I'm trying to be clever, but like in general, like, you know, you know, share would never do something because everyone else was doing it and would encourage you to push yourself out of your comfort zone. So since, you know, we don't have our own personal share and I've become a lot of people's personal shares recently, but um, you can, you, you have to monitor yourself of being aware that you're doing the same thing, you're taking the same photo, you're behaving like you did. And if you're not feeling like it's working for you as a human being, it's time to, to switch it up. And if you lose that audience, they weren't going to stay with you no matter what. So that's fine. I love that. And I think we could also touch on identity and even more so just appearances because Cher definitely cared about her appearance. She cared about other people's appearances. Are there any takeaways as far as personal branding and the way we present ourselves that we can learn from Cher regarding how she presented herself to the world? Um, I think so. I think so. This is kind of like 
a shameless plug, but I wrote a, a, a post on my new Instagram called Shallow Things, which was supposed to be a podcast, but became an Instagram in the meantime, um, oh, okay. where I discussed the sameness of social media and like this, like, you know, pinching our faces into Facetune or filling our faces to look like our favorite, you know, Instagram baddies or icons, you know, trying to like get that like hit of cool from others engagement with us. And it's just kind of a bummer. And I would hope that, you know, we value our own appearances for self and embrace our uniqueness. And I think that's a lot of why TikToks become so popular is that everyone's really supportive on that platform and wants a difference of of opinion and a difference of view because Instagram has become just so, so controlled. And you look at the other platforms, not as visual, like I would love to find someone that uses Twitter exclusively like Instagram and see how they're doing that. But I'm going to stick to those two platforms because they're the most visually telling. Um, But in general, like, you know, it's our responsibility to, to present ourselves how we see fit, not how society sees fit, not how our parents saw fit, not how our partners see fit. But as long as you're comfortable in your own self and your own skin, or you're working towards becoming comfortable in that space, or you have a a person you look up to who is, you know, different like you in whatever that is, um, I think that makes life so much more interesting. I would be really sad if everyone was exactly like Cher or like Dion. Well, more so like Dion in real life, but like Dion in the movie, yeah. <laughs> like, you For know, sure. <laughs> sorry, Stacey, but like not yeah. sorry. Um, or, you know, or if everyone was different, like Ty, or if there was like a thousand clones of me, I would be freaked out and running to be someone different and finding my, my new self because it just would be unfulfilling for me. So I think that to answer your question in a long-winded rant, <laughs> no, I think, I think, you know, self-presentation comes in various ways. With Cher, it was through her clothes, again, like fashion being a character and through self-grooming, but your self-presentation can also be how you treat others and what you're known for as a human being. And I would so much rather someone say that I'm a good person or they felt great around me or I made them laugh than them complimenting me on my shoes, which they should have done anyways because my shoe game is absolutely vicious and notorious. Of course. Um, but my shoes also aren't for everyone. And if you think they're ugly, but you think I'm an awesome person, that's all that matters because the shoes will come and go. But the person I am hopefully will stay and only get better. So I think with Cher, my, my, my eternal problem is that people have placed her into a very shallow being when in fact she used that as an, a self-expression, but was incredibly deep and thoughtful of others around her. That is just so deep. I love it. I'm so glad we're doing this. There's so much more to get to. But I appreciate how you're comparing Instagram to TikTok because just earlier today, I was on a webinar about TikTok and they were talking about why people love it. And one of the things they mentioned was that on TikTok, people just come as they are. Like there's, it's not as filtered and, you know, edited as Instagram, I guess you can say. And people are just dancing and being themselves. They're doing pranks. It's a little more organic. So it's really refreshing to see a platform that's going in a direction like that. Like It's okay to be embarrassing. I'm embarrassing on all my platforms. I just, again, I'm so sorry for the plugs. I'm not usually a self-plugger, but oh, my, my, my best friend Janelle of over a decade, she's a senior writer at Vogue. And 
I think I inspired her last article where it was like about our like quarantine crushes. And I got like a little quote in vogue about my quarantine crush. What up, Ben Schwartz? Um, But like, you know, in general, it's kind of like, if you can just be your authentic self and you're kind of shameless about it, people will gravitate to that so much more. Because again, I think if nothing else, COVID has taught us different values and metrics of what we think is important. And and to go back to my shallow things post, I equated Instagram as the original pandemic and I equated it as the digital pandemic. And that's really hard to do in 2200 characters. So (laughs) please please check it out. It went viral about two weeks ago. I think there's over like 25,000 shares, which is the most I've ever personally gotten on anything outside of Tumblr. Um, But in general, you, you look at our self-obsession for again being the same and creating spaces that are just for consumption to share on a singular platform is really bizarre and now we're having that experience through tiktok but with something silly like dancing so it's like you know what a tiktok dance is like you know when someone's making a tiktok in the same way that you know when someone's making an instagram photo because they're like oh she's doing it for the gram but like kids aren't going into like bankruptcy to make a tiktok hopefully in the same way that some people are have really bad credit card debt because they go to Chanel every week to stunt and they shouldn't be. So, you know, I, I I think, and that's a YouTube problem too, but in general there, it, it, it flips. But for me, it's, it's one of those observations where I think the beauty of, of the TikTok is that anyone can find success in it and there's no formula just yet. And that's something that Instagram hasn't had in a very long time. And I didn't read the book off filter or I think it's called no filter. Maybe I'm wrong. That's all about Instagram. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I watched her on, I watched the talks from the author and I think Sarah, hold on. We got to plug her. Yeah. Let's plug her. Cause I'm like, I know about you, but I didn't read it. What what was her name? Sarah Fryer. Sarah Fryer. Super, yeah, super smart. And, you know, Instagram really did dictate what they wanted to be popular. It was like, you know, three people's point of views. And then it kind of took off because people saw other people being successful from it. And then it created this army of, of clones, which if you support them, that's a personal life choice. It is not a choice that I make. It's a choice that I, you know, guide my clients away from when they're like, this is the trend. And you're like, it won't work for you. Let's try again. Um, but in general, I think that we have um, a really interesting multi-layered, like, again, why is so many layers? I'm so sorry. More cake references, please. You know what? I gave up refined sugar five years ago this month. And like, somehow I keep making baby and cake and cookie references. I don't know where they're coming from, but like, this is a biological clock scream for help like <laughs> no so I'm just saying like in general uh, but in, in in general I think what's super interesting is that each platform should be utilized uniquely to what it's like best practices are and if you again look at Cher she behaved in a certain way under different people all the time like she was herself in one place she was herself to get attention from a man she was her true self when Elton made a move and she was like truly as if um i'm not cool enough to say it out loud right now there's too many nerves but you know like um to reenact it but you know there's also where people are so complicated and social media has made us so singular that that's why i think tiktok is so refreshing to people because that's kind of what instagram stories is supposed to do but it's turned into like this like still very controlled thing um and that's kind of why i still love snapchat and use snapchat so much because 
I get to be my authentic self. My audience on it is a twentieth of what it used to be at the height of Snapchat. I don't care. I like making content for it, and the people who ride yeah. with me on it ride with me forever. I think. I hope. Shout out to my Snapchat thirty. Those are peeps. They know. They really know where I am at all times. It is truly live <laughs> blogging at its finest. Instagram was like, I thought you were in LA. I'm like, I'm in my underwear in, in East Village. But yes, sure. My <laughs> Instagram lied to you. Congrats on being played. But like, you know, you have um, you you have platforms that should be used different ways. And I find that really sad when I'm just kind of like repost the same things because it's their personal brand or yeah. it's how they're viewed and. I, I love that like freedom from from Cher and really from Ty and we'll talk about her. I know we will, but Ty is is super fascinating. Yeah, and you're right. I mean, Instagram stories were a step in the right direction. We weren't thinking about grids anymore or always being perfect. It was for once we had this throwaway content. Actually, I shouldn't say for once. I mean, Snapchat really pioneered that, but people became more comfortable just being themselves and setting the tone for what we now see on TikTok and just being unapologetically yourself. But I'm also so glad you brought up as if and some of our other clueless and share catchphrases like totally bugging. There's a bunch we can get to, but I think there's a personal branding lesson there too. It's find your voice and your language and express yourself in a way that's true to you. You don't have to try to fit this mold. And I talk about it all the time as a university instructor. You know, I'm out here talking about boy bands all the time. I'm like, I don't need to pretend to be this overly academic, buttoned up type of lecturer or instructor. I can just be myself. So we can all let our hair down and share just always translates that message in so many different ways. I mean, it's just it's just such an iconic movie. And when someone tells me they don't like it, I just I know we will never get along because I feel like this movie is such an like an insight into my brain and my soul that like you will hate me or I'll hate you because like how do you not understand the complexity of Clueless? Some friendships are not meant to be, but now you can just send them a link to this podcast and maybe they'll understand it. <laughs> I have a few people to send links to, but yes. <laughs> we'll definitely do that. So let's talk about Ty for a second, because Ty might actually be the most relatable character. I mean, Cher lived in a mansion in Beverly Hills, and not all of us had that lifestyle, but Ty just showed up at school. She was the new kid, didn't really have a tribe, didn't really know where she belonged, but of course, Cher offers to give her a makeover. So I want to know, did you have any life experiences of your own where you felt like you were in Ty's shoes? I feel like this is therapy hour. Um, <laughs> so my entire life. Okay. So let's just, let's just back it up. I have curly hair. I am an Ashkenazi Jew. I look like it. I sound like it. People either think I'm born and raised in New York or they think I'm a Valley girl and they make fun of my voice or my vocal fry or whatever it might be. Um, I've been the new girl in school at least a dozen times in my life <laughs> moved around a lot um i dressed differently and funny because i was poor growing up i was either wearing hand-me-downs or i remember when i first started going to school when i was i think five um i wore the same pair of pants every single day because we had no money and 
my mom was called by the school and they were like, you know, she's wearing the same outfit and the kids are noticing and what's wrong with her? And she was like, I wash it every single night. It's completely clean. And that's when I started getting hand-me-downs because they didn't realize the level of poverty. I've spent my whole life just kind of being awkward as the reverse Thai because Thai was all about like drinking and partying and made these like drug references that I didn't, I don't think I even understood them until I was 18. And I'll explain that in a second. I'm accidentally straight edge. Like I never like went out and was like, I'm going to be a straight edge person. I was just like, alcohol doesn't make sense to me. So I've never tried it. That's right, guys. I live in New York. I went to art school. I worked in fashion. I worked in advertising. And I've been freelancing. And I've been living through a pandemic completely sober, never had, having tried alcohol, not even a sip. I know it's everyone's next follow-up question. I could read out your list of whatever. <laughs> I've never tried drugs of any sort. I've never even smoked a cigarette in my life. I've just been like clean and I don't judge anyone for it, but I get judged a lot for it. So yeah. I kind of, that's the duality that I have between Cher and Ty where like she doesn't really judge you for it but like she kind of gets judged for like not behaving in a way that people expect from her right mm-hmm. um and so you know people kind of treated me weird my whole life and that's just like that's a whole other story but I still get treated like an anomaly because I, I am I am professionally I am as a person I'm not like the typical person that works with these fortune 10 or fortune 500 brands I'm not a typical person who even works in fashion because you know I think I, I because I'm consider myself based on my experiences and have been told repeatedly throughout my entire career of 12 years that I'm an anomaly and I'm different and you know I'm I feel like I'm picked apart in the way that other people aren't I don't know if that's a sensitivity that I have or it's in my head I know it's not and said to me often but I sound like a paranoid person for saying it out loud but in general when you look at Ty she was also picked apart and you know you know, people assume that you're just clueless because you stand out, but really you're just comfortable in your own skin to be yourself. And what I really, like, I've always admired about Ty, which I didn't really get to until a couple of years ago, was that she took their suggestions, but still became herself. She still went after the boy she wanted to go after. She still dressed how she wanted to, but blending into the SoCal scene. She never asked anyone how to change for her comfort. And I like to think I carry that trait. I will take advice from people and I'm sure it's built me as a person, but I think that like the fact that she's, she was able to experiment, but realize this, this self that she is, that she feels is her true self is something that I hope everyone gets to experience in their lives and, and really is able to feel comfortable in their skin, even if they don't feel comfortable everywhere else. Yeah, you're right. At at first, I was disappointed that they reinvented Ty. You know, she was a completely different person when she first arrived at that school. She was into drawing. She was more of like a a punk rocker chick, you might say. But you're right. She did stay true to herself at the end of the day. She did go after her skater boy and everything. So so you're right. I never really picked up on that before. I'm telling you, I can pontificate about clueless more than I can pontificate about <laughs> Emma any day of the week. I think I failed all of my high school teachers, but like I just it's just, you know, a prolific movie that really shapes my life. It really did, but you're not alone. I want to know what you would tell people who might be in Thai shoes or they're trying to build their brands and they might feel like they they won't find their audience or they're just feeling out of place. What would you tell someone who's working on their personal brand and they just can't see the light at the end of the tunnel? So what would I tell myself? Okay, so 
<laughs> I have like 30, I have like 30 personal brands. Like none of them make sense. Like Twitter, I say whatever I think. Tumblr is like think a, dump, a photo dump. My Instagram is so obsessively controlled that like it makes me anxious. And I'm sure everyone's like, that's so pretty. She's a genius. And you're like, I literally wake up in the middle of the night going, I should have posted this instead. It's not normal. <laughs> um, and then my Snapchat is truly, truly my true self. So add me there. No, but what I'm saying yeah. is I think what I tell everyone, including people who are clients, is that it's hard. And that like, you know, this is going to be controversial most likely, but not everyone needs to have their own brand. Mm-hmm. And that's okay too. And I think, you know, if you're not adding to the conversation and your own brand is just like narcissism, acknowledge that and realize that like your friends will probably be your biggest engagement and maybe people who like think you're attractive but you know do we need more kissy empty stare photos of you outside of nobu or like eating an out burger or trying on really ugly dior sneakers or anything from dior because mary grass is horrible but you know do we need do we need any of that in the world and the answer is no because like the girls that came before you they've got it on lock um but you know if you can't figure out what you stand for and why and what's missing in the market and what you're bringing and how you're bringing your own point of view is it worth competing with the people who are and i think that most people will realize it's not and it's not a defeat to realize that it's not because you can put that energy into something else. You don't have to be in front of a camera. And I think that we can normalize that and we should normalize that. I think we can encourage people to say that like, you know, yes, we all deserve our 15 minutes of fame. Shout out to Andrew Warhol, my art dad, oh, trademark. Sure. But like, you know, you can also get your 15 minutes of fame behind the scenes. And I think for some reason people have forgotten that. Like I would rather be a powerful person holding like the, the, the checkbook than being a slave and hoping that I like become a sugar baby to someone, you know, I'd rather be the sugar dad, whatever their term is. So like, oh, that's kind yeah. of, but just, just not old and creepy. Um, I have friends who've experienced, uh, anyway, so um, I just think that that's what I would tell people. Like, Ty didn't need to be Cher and Cher didn't need to be Ty. Like Ty was okay like being the main character in her own story and 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 being in the same room as as a Cher but didn't need to overcompensate for her when she kind of had her little brush of fame if you will or her infamy when she almost died and then kind of took over and and Cher felt like she created a monster and I feel like a lot of people feel like they've created monsters when they see these like clones or the sameness that I keep referencing but we'll keep referencing until it stops so sorry folks um, so yeah I, I think that you know to, to sum it up is that it's okay to not have a social media personal brand but to have a, a, a like an ethos or a self-guide to who you are in your professional life or your personal life around your friends it doesn't need to go on the internet even if you think it's super cool Yeah. And I think that's what I've found mostly as I try to build my own personal brand is I've just found a support system. And I think at the end of the day, that's really why you should put yourself out there. And any forum, whether it's online or just getting out in your community, is just finding like-minded people who can support you and you can lean on. And you'll always find your tribe no matter what your niche is, no matter what you're into, the audience is out there. You just have to go out and look for it. And sometimes put yourself out there and share that and actually actively look for these types of people. But you don't have to be 
all things to all people, you can find that one group that becomes your support system. Absolutely. I think that, you know, the entrance a busy place and we're busy people. And oftentimes we think that everyone should stop because we decide to put a stop side on, but it's literally not authorized by any governing force. And it's just a self-made stop sign. So like, why should they listen to you? Uh-huh. Reminds me of when Cher runs a stop sign. My entire uh-huh. life. Um, yeah. When Cher runs a stop sign and like, just you know, so I, I didn't learn. So I, I I didn't learn how to drive. I really was like, I'm going to be a New Yorker when I grow up. I'm not going to like drive. I was 17. My mom was like, you need to get your license. Like, you never know. Because every 16 year old like, I want a license. I was like, I want Mickey Moto pearls. My mom was like, this is cheaper <laughs> than a car. Sold. Um, still have them. True story. Um, I'm telling you, I was just made to be a slave to fashion. Um, but never in debt, and that's the most important part. I was like, I'm not going to learn how to drive. And then I remember when I was working for Samsung. Um, I had to go to Coachella two weeks before Coachella was happening. And they're like, surprise. And I was like, I got to figure out how to work a car. So I came home for the weekend and like, my mom was like, oh my God, you're going to die. And I was like, it's fine. I'll figure it out. So like, I literally learned how to drive almost 10 years after I got my license. And then when I got to LA, they were like, how are you going to park? I was like, I don't know, but like I have Samsung money. So I'm just going to like pay people to do it for me. And that's fine too. Right. So (laughs) I really experienced clueless even subconsciously in my life because like, yeah. literally it was like, I don't know. I remember I did have to learn how to drive because it was in a uh, park because there was an emergency and I like parked and I was shaking. And when I successfully didn't hit a car, um, I was like, wow, I'm thriving. I did it. And everyone's yeah. looking at me like I was crazy because everyone in the car had grown up driving and they're like, wow, you're in your <laughs> mid twenties and you're like really excited about making it into a parking space that you just spent 30 minutes looking for in a garage because you didn't want to be too close to a car. And we're like, well, if this one gets damaged, we can afford that. So like, you know, like that's not normal either, but I, I guess I'm stunted in my growth in some yeah. ways too. Well, also, all this talk about cars and driving tests, it reminds me of Cher and how she failed her driving test. And I think there's a point there, too, in that it's okay to fail. I think this was one of the first times in the movie where we saw Cher at a low point being this imperfect version of herself. And, you know, it really is okay to fail. We're all going to fail. It's just part of the process. I fail every minute of the day as far as I'm (laughs) concerned. And honestly, like, you know, in the movie, because I just rewatched it on on the night before we re- we recorded this, so people, I, I do homework. I, I don't just yes. talk about things. I swear I'm fast, but like yes. I, I research, I read things, I, I rewatch. Um, but you know, Cher was kind of like I couldn't talk my way out of it, and you know, I, I guess I have the gift of gab. I kind of talk my way in and out of things all the time. And when I took my driving test, I took it being like I don't care, and I passed. And I had friends who have failed so many times, and they, it's all they cared about. And I was like literally could care less about this I'm never gonna drive like peace out I'm off to be a New Yorker so (laughs) I think that like you know that's what I get I've passed once in my life so now I fail forever but you know I think there's a really great quote that's not in Clueless but it became a post that I made on Tumblr that has almost a million notes after like seven years but you know I failed my way to success and I think that that's super important too it's okay to have these like non-linear careers these moments where like you're like what's all this for and you kind of come out and you're like I'm so glad that that didn't work out because now I'm doing something even better and I think that that's really what it came down to share where it's like she essentially strengthened her relationship and her and her self-worth beyond not just the material but the like the pat on the back for getting your license like everyone else Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, I know I can relate to that since leaving the corporate world and starting my own business and consulting. I've had days where I'm waking up like, like you said, what is all this for? What am I even doing? I need to go get a real job. But, you know, it all falls into place if you let it. Still waiting on that. Still waiting on that. Oh, waiting place for me. <laughs> It'll happen. It'll happen. I mean, I'm a constant work in progress too, but we're really lucky because we're celebrating the 25th anniversary. So all these awesome throwback clueless clips and interviews have been all over the internet and Twitter. And you and I were recently watching this clip, obviously from 1995 that MTV did. And they were interviewing Alicia Silverstone. And when she was talking about the plot, she was saying, and I quote, all this makeup and this facade we all put on and all this behavior, it's crap. It's just not real. And I know you touched on this a little bit, but do you feel like there's a sense of truth to this on social media? I mean, yeah. Like, I mean, look, we all know this, especially if you work in it. Um, it's a facade. It's mm -hmm. a limited look at your life unless you're someone like me who has endless energy to keep creating content and maybe verbal diarrhea that probably get diagnosed with something else. Um, and, you know, you have to really give credit to social media of like making us all live in glass houses and not realize it. And everyone thinks that they're somehow special because, you know, they have a million followers or they have 20 million followers or a brand gave them money. But at the end of the day, it's a business and you just climbed a different form of a corporate ladder than what we're all used to. And I think that's a facade that no one seems to really acknowledge. Um, I think there's also a negativity behind facade. And I don't always think it's a bad thing. Me being like a, a pragmatic, bubbly person who would rather tell you about Prada than talk about something sad is not like because I can't talk about what's sad. It's because we talk about the sad things all the time. And I feel like it's my due diligence to remix it and do something else with it. And so that doesn't make me less than someone else. and doesn't mean I'm putting up a facade. It means I'm channeling my energy towards something else. So don't think that you're a facade because you're wearing makeup or because you're not wearing makeup. I don't think one's better than the other. I think that really the word could kind of use like a rebrand like Clueless did, you know, in that interview that you, you, you shared on your, on your feed where it's not really, it shouldn't be seen as an insult unless you're using a facade in a negative way. And I think a lot of people's facades are really just because we're taught to be politically correct or politeness. And I only hope that I can inspire others to be their true selves while not getting myself banned from working ever again. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I think that if we, can, if we can acknowledge that we have facades, if we can make sure that they're positive facades and that they're self-serving and protective when they need to be, they're not necessarily a bad thing. Like you're not better than or less than me for wearing makeup or not wearing makeup. And I'm not better than you or less than you for not wearing makeup. And I think that that's something that or liking clothes, or having over 150 pairs of designer shoes. Like, I'm not better than someone else. It's just how I choose to spend my time and energy. And that's not really a facade. That's just, like, what makes me happy. In the same way, there are people who have two pairs of shoes, and they make an obscene amount of money, and they're happy with that, too. Or am I in a facade versus them? No, we just have different interests. So I think that, like, maybe I'm going to become a PR person and, like, rebrand the word facade. I don't know. Stay tuned. Yeah, I was going to say, the wisdom here, I never really looked at facade that way. I mean, I always did kind of view it as something that had a negative connotation, but thank you for redefining it for us. You're 
so right. Now, every time I see that word, I'm going to try to look at it through a new lens. So thank you. But uh, one of the main themes in Clueless, obviously, is popularity. And one of the ways that we measure popularity in a branding sense on social media is, of course, follower count. What is your perspective on following? Is following everything? And what would you tell someone who's trying to build their following? No, no. So the answer is I don't believe in vanity metrics. I say this to my clients all the time. I say this to people chasing this like never ending quest for followers and numbers. And I'm like, but why? And when someone can't explain to you why, it's like, you know, you've got them. There's this really interesting Instagram uh, that just launched. Let me find its name in one second. Um, It's called Influencer Pay Gap. It is full of anonymous messages of people revealing how hollow this industry is. And by industry, I mean the follower, like, gravitas of becoming an influencer because you have a bunch of followers. Um, You know, everyone's like, it's a multi-billion dollar business. Go after your slice of pie. And that's true. It is a business. It is multi-billion. But, like, you know, we're spending all this time and money and these brands are like, we got 30 bucks. We know you have half a million followers. We got 30 bucks. And we'll benefit you more because we're a big old brand and you can say you worked with us. And you're just like, I did that for what? So I, I think that once we like reevaluate self-worth and, so, and what is a follower account, we'll feel so much better as humans. Like these are, social media is a, about a decade old in this, in this form. And I've been working in it the entire decade. And the entire 10 years, I've been like, I don't care about followers and that's never changed. Have I gotten my clients followings? Absolutely. Did I grow one brand a million followers in six months on Instagram? Yes, I did. But was that even on my docket of goals? Was that like a KPI, a KSP, whatever, like KFC, whatever like language you want to put behind it? No, I never cared. I cared about putting out good content that brought value and made people happy looking at it. And the followers came as a result to it. And so I think that like, you know, popularity can be seen as many things. Like some people are like, you know, I love what you do, but like, I'm like the least popular photographer that had all the head starts and have done so many of the same things that blew up other people's careers because wrong time. Right. And so is follower count everything? No, because my Tumblr fame would have transferred into something else and it never did. Um, But I do know the people who do follow me on Tumblr are exceptionally loyal and will follow me on any platform and support any of my projects. And I can't say that for a lot of things. And they sincerely mean it. Like they want the best. And that to me matters more than any follower count could ever. So that's it. If you're trying to build a following and that's your like number one goal, I'm so sorry to tell you, you're, you're, you're wrong. Like go buy your followers. They'll be as disengaged as the followers you're chasing. Go put out good content and grow at the same time. Well, hopefully it's a relief for people because they don't have to chase this number if they just let that go. And instead, like you said, focus on creating better content. It, I think, would remove this pressure to try to reach a certain number. And, and, I, and I think that the, the platforms really create that as well. Everyone's like, if you're not verified, you're a loser. Okay. If you don't have 10,000 followers, you can't swipe up. And then you have someone like Snapchat. Guys, I'm telling you, I got stock in Snapchat, so we need to bring it up. So I can, I bought it on day two. It was a mistake. I wasn't going to buy it. I've been waiting very patiently to break even. I'm begging you guys, let's, like, let's bring it back to Snap um, so that I can go out and buy some Alaya. No, but yes. in general, like, um, I, I look at things like, 
you know, Snap doesn't care how many followers you have and they let you link. And people will right. go to those links because they're excited to see what, like, you know, the Vogue shout out or to go to my Instagram post or whatever it is that I'm cross promoting or what, or promoting a friend being like, Hey, you guys should check out my friend. She just started a new agency. Um, you know, click here. Why can't I do that on Instagram? I've spent, I've been on the platform since 2014 you know, I've been doing social for 10 years and I launched one of the biggest Instagram channels and I didn't have an Instagram when I got the job because I never had time for it. But, you know, I've been on the platform personally since 14. I have like, I don't know, like 2000 followers and I don't care. But like, I've been on it longer than like some of these kids have been alive at this point who are on it under age and they have millions of followers and they get a swipe up. It just doesn't make sense. It's, yeah, they're, they're placing importance on the wrong things. And, and I think, you know, a lot of people were begging for that access so a really helpful feature um, during COVID when the pandemic was fresh. We're still in a pandemic, guys. It's just not fresh anymore. Or during Black Lives Matter. And I think that Instagram did a grave injustice by not allowing people to, 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 to make, an, make it an even playing field and allow the, swipes, the swipe ups. So, yeah, yeah I mean, I guess that's, that's, a, that's a way the platforms get you on following count. And that's why people think it's important. But like, as a working photographer, I've made more money than influencers with bigger followings because of the content I'm making for them than me posting myself. So right. it depends on you how you how you market yourself as well. Yeah. And I've read up on it a bit about the swipe up feature. And it turns out that not a lot of people actually go to that and convert. They're not really swiping up or actually buying anything on their phones from that feature. So I think it's really overrated because you're not getting a lot of real traffic. I agree with you. You know, I have a client who is like, when we get shoppable, everyone's going to buy it. I was like, listen, here are the, here are the stats. If you get 1% of your audience you, to click on it, which is normal, maybe half a percent of that 1% is going to buy it. So if you have like 10,000 followers and 100 people click on it, <laughs> you'll be lucky if like really five people buy that. Yeah. And they're like, there is no way. And I'm like, you know, as someone who worked on an account with 69 million followers, um, when I found out how much money they were making per post through Shoppable, my jaw fell to the floor. And I was really shocked at how low that number was. And I'm like, huh, really, the grass is not even existent on the other side. Like we're always like the grass seems green. There is no grass. It's all, it's all like people aren't, people are using social media to be entertained and maybe buy. That's why ads are working for, for some people when done correctly. So I say make it even, let everyone have the same tools. Then let's see who thrives off of it. Because I promise you, I could probably sell something a lot faster than someone with 20,000 followers because for me to co-sign something publicly is a very big deal. Mm -hmm. yeah. And people know that. Well, it sounds like you've had a very fulfilling career with your clients and building their brands on these platforms and in your role as a photographer. But I want to know, did you have any other bumps along the way, things that you learned that would be helpful to share with other aspiring photographers or creatives or really just anyone that's trying to put themselves out there a bit more? much time do we have? Um, I have a lot of bumps. I've had a lot of bumps. I still, today I had bumps. Like when you're listening to this, I most likely woke up and had bumps. Like there is never not a bump. Like I don't have, like if you've ever been to Iceland, they have a road called F roads, which is like, they're really rocky roads. I am, my whole life is an F road. There is no pavement. There's just rocks. Like 
put me in a, in a Range Rover and like let me go at this point because I just want to be in a Tesla but like no one's letting me just cruise like Elon just let me cruise yes. um, so we're gonna buy that stock but that's another rant for another day <laughs> so I think you know for me a bump I still have and more so as someone who graduated into the recession who is now dealing with this world because why would my life ever be easy but <laughs> you know, I really do wish I would share. Um, but like in general, (laughs) I, I don't know what to charge people. And I don't think I'm alone in this because anyone that you talk to as a creative doesn't know what to charge. And then when we talk about what we're charging, we realize that we're undercutting ourselves, which then undercuts the industry. It undercuts people in the future that want to work with that client. And guess what guys, it will come back to you and then you're going to undercut yourself too. So what I wish that people you know, would learn about bumps, whatever it is, is if you can find people who are doing what you're doing or want to be doing, ask them, hey, well, first of all, develop a friendship. Don't just be like, hey, how much money do you make? Because like, (laughs) mm, I can probably get away with that because like I have a je ne sais quoi, but like you most likely can't. So, (laughs) um, so, you know, once you develop a rapport, if you will. You don't be besties. I mean, like, there's no wedding invites, and I say no to 99% of weddings, so don't worry about that. That's not personal. That's just called I'd rather buy shoes. Um, <laughs> you, you reach out to them and, and ask them, like, you know, what would you charge for this kind of job? And you might not have the same branding or experience, but it gives you a bracket because what happens and what I'm dealing with 12 years after graduating is I'm still being asked to do $500 jobs with like a lot of like, you should be grateful for this attitude. And recently I had someone who like asked me for a budget. I gave them a really fair rate. I was like, I don't know if this is COVID fair, but I know this is way fair and this is below normal rates. And like, hopefully you guys understand it, but they ended up getting someone for like 600 bucks to take 30 photos, multiple days of production, prop styling. They were hand modeling themselves. And guys, that's a, that's a body part people get paid for. Hand modeling, it's a business, it's modeling, retouching, unlimited usage. There's no credit to them anywhere. So no one's going to find you and give you more work for $500. And I always say this to people, we didn't become commercial artists to make less than minimum wage. My education, and I've been saying this since 2008, was $200,000. Yeah. That's what Parsons cost me. And by me, I mean my very generous mother. Um, and I'm open about it. And, and I'm very grateful to not have debt, but I'm an anomaly as well. Most people have debt. And, you know, to think that my equipment should be $5,000, my rent should be $3,000, and I also have a have to have a three and a half thousand dollar computer and then a desktop and then these lenses and these lights and then you're not paying for any of that and I have to work for five hundred dollars. That's a that's that's a bump. And that's a huge bump that we need to get over. And I know it's not just photo, I know it's for artists, I know it's for wordsmiths, the copywriters of the group, I know it's for production, I know it's for a lot of people, but you know, if you're a brand that's making money on these images. And if you're doing your job correctly, you're profiting a lot. You should be paying people fairly and not being like, well, you only have 200 followers, photographer. Why should I pay you another rate? Because my work is better than that person. Otherwise, you would have approached them. So I don't know why we're having this conversation. And, you know, I I say this to people. I I once had a client say, like, you know, our last photographer only charges $3 to retouch a photo. And I looked at them and I was like, well, just telling you professionally as someone who's been playing in Photoshop since 2001, 
that photo wasn't retouched. So you got exactly what you paid for. And they were just like clutching their pearls. And then I threw on my Mickey Moto pearls and was like, you know, no one should ever tell a brand, and this is my advice, um, never say the word $5. Anything under $100 is probably too low. And again, if you're just starting out, you're going to not be three, five, seven thousand dollars $7,000. That's understandable if you're starting out. But when you come to someone that has the experience, that has the breadth of clients that are your, either your direct competitors or people that you admire, it's very insulting and it's very difficult to have these conversations. Today, I had someone reach out to me. This is my bump of, of the day and you can edit this out if it's too long. But, you know, I had someone reach out who I took a photo for at an event and she loved it. And I'm very grateful that she remembered to reach out to me. And she's like, listen, this company I'm working with really wants to use this photo for press and maybe like advertising. Can you send me a high res? And I'm like, listen, if it was for you, I would just be like, absolutely, it's for you. But it's for a company. There should be a licensing fee. And, you know, she was like, yeah, absolutely. How can I help? And I was like, listen, put me in touch with those people. You're a nurse. You're busy. Um, I'm not going to drag you into the dirt. Let me, let me, you know, work with these people. And the guy's like, we just want this for a press release. We need it to be three megabytes. I'm like, a photo was 500 kilobytes. It works for a press release. I know what you actually wanted it for because I was told what it was for. Um, and he's like, well, I'm not in the business to license anything. And I told him, then you're in the business of finding a new photo of your person. And I said that very, not politely, just that way in an email because he was wasting my time and my energy and basically telling me your work is of value to me, but not enough value for me to pay for it, even though I'm going to be making money off of it. And she was, and the, the woman texted me and was like, it's so weird how before they were like saying the photo wasn't high quality enough, but now they're asking me to take a selfie on my iPhone and I don't really understand photography. Can you explain what happened? And I told her and she was mortified, you know, so that's what I'm saying. Like, I deal with these bumps no matter how far I've been in my in my career. I will probably deal with them forever. I won't even get into the strategy bumps because they're even more bumpy. <laughs> the amount of people who want to pick my brain like it's a free shark tank. But, you know, it's like I'm not a multimillionaire yet and I'm working towards it. I'm not even a millionaire yet. So we're working. We're working, guys. We're working. And so, you know, we're 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 at a point where like, why does everyone get to get rich off of my point of view? Because you're coming to me because you want it. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you wouldn't be talking to me. There's a whole sea of unemployed, wonderful people. There's a whole sea of photographers. There's a whole sea of creators. You obviously came to me for a reason. And if I have to do client education for the rest of my life and not get paid for it, then I should have become a teacher. But since I chose not to become a teacher, um, I'm going to need to get paid for this moving forward. And that's all I can, I, that's, that's the advice I would hope to help people is stop teaching people to be horrible. If we all close our doors and say, no, they won't get these rates. They mm-hmm. won't think it's acceptable and they'll fix their budgets. I'm sorry that you're bad at your job and managing your money as a company and paying people fairly, but I'm actually not sorry. And you should have hired the right people to make sure that your budgets were allocated correctly. Mic drop. Seriously, I'm so glad you bring this up because more creatives need to be more vocal about this because it's as if we all need to come together on a united front to really fix this problem. Because it's exactly like you said, once one person offers these incredibly low rates, it devalues everyone. So it just sets the tone the completely wrong way. You know, I, I, I say this all the time, but like, you know, if it worked in the way of the way people work, which is kind of like, you know, 
oh, but I don't do this. I don't, this isn't how I've always done business. That's like me going into Prada and being like, I don't use money or credit cards. I really need this outfit. Um, no, I am a Prada sweater. I am not the bottom of a bin of a clothing store that sells them by the pound. And you will pay for that. There are lots of sweaters in the world. And you can get a sweater for 50 cents. I just, I am not that 50 cent sweater. I will keep you as warm as a 50 cent sweater, but you're choosing to go to Prada and thank you for your business. But unfortunately, we're going to have to deny your request for free stuff. Good for you. I mean, Julia, just talking with you this past hour, I can confirm you are a Prada sweater. You are. <laughs> and not just yeah. not and not just because I'm wearing my favorite Prada Hawaiian shirt that I literally have chosen to live Love in for the last two years. But, you know, Anyone could be any sweater. If St. Laurent's your vibe, which is my vibe too, be a St. Laurent sweater. And if you want to be a sweater from the Gap, that's cool too. The world needs Gap sweaters and not everyone needs to be a Prada sweater. But like those people need to work as well and they shouldn't be working for $100 when you are making a quarter of a million dollars, a billion dollars, whatever amount is because you gave someone 300 bucks and we're like, go for it, kid. Yeah. Yeah, well, <laughs> there's a lot of takeaways from those stories. It's just at, at a certain point, we're going to get to the name and shame game from everyone. And again, the platform like this influencer pay gap, they're naming brands. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are scared and respectfully not, but they're posting emails being like, this is the company that had the nerve to say this to me. Yeah. Be on the lookout. And guess what, guys? The internet is smaller than you think. It's also forever. So if I Google you and you show up as like the brand that, you know, paid me a couple thousand dollars less because of the color of my skin, it's going to cost you a lot more money to get rid of that than it would have been to pay people fairly. Oh, yeah. Well, you are just dropping all kinds of wisdom and lessons, but I want to close out with a life lesson that you've gathered from Clueless as such a big fan of the movie, something that you apply in your personal life or your career. What's your biggest takeaway from this film? So I wrote two paragraphs. No, um, I wrote a few <laughs> thoughts on this. So thesis. <laughs> I would like to begin. No, so basically it's really simple. I think you can be frivolous, fun, and funny, and you can still care about others. Um, you know, liking clothes or silly things doesn't make you silly or a dumb person. I'm not a diss with a credit card just because I like what I like and you're not better than me because you like what you like, which is an ongoing theme in my life. Um, And if all you can gather from me is that I'm a diss with a credit card, I feel really sorry for you because you're missing out on me as a person. Throughout my career, I've had usually male colleagues tell me, you should go back to fashion. Don't you think you'd just be happier in fashion? No, because fashion doesn't pay and I like money. That's why I'm in this. And I think I have a different point of view than the rest of you. Otherwise, I wouldn't be hired to do my job. Now, right? Okay, moving on. So I I think that, you know, if we can live by one specific sentence from Clueless, these are the words that I live by, um, mainly because I'm a shoe addict, um, but we can talk about them on another podcast, maybe one day if I'm ever invited to talk to anyone again, um, where Cher says, you see how picky I am about about my shoes and they only go on my feet. And that's really the way I carry throughout my life with anything and anyone I let in. When you have an immaculate game on anything, whether it's your intelligence, it's your material items, it's your friendship group, the weakest link of that is a reflection upon you and I can't go and buy dusty shoes. Like it's just, it's just not happening in the same way that I can't go and have friends 
that don't support me in the way that I support them, or I can't have clients that don't get it no matter how many times I explain it to them. And now we just fire people and pray that someone hires me in the meantime. So like, you know, I think that that's super important. It's a life lesson that you can gather from Clueless. It's like you can and you should be picky. Maybe not when you're starting out because again, nothing is linear. Just because you start out as a copywriter doesn't mean you can't one day be an account person or vice versa or you know, the only thing you can't be is a doctor without going back to school. But within advertising, it's free game. It's how you brand, present yourself. It's how you brand yourself. It's how you work towards that goal. And I think that that's, people, that's what people need to remind themselves. Sometimes you should do a lot of dirty work to get to the good stuff, but you can be picky once you've done the dirty work to get to the good stuff. Wow. Brava. That is just so deep. I love the quote. And I'll have to have you back for another episode because I don't know if you're a Sex in the City fan, but I feel like we can break down the whole love of shoes. And I've already had a whole episode about like sneakerhead culture and Michael Jordan shoes and collecting shoes and all of that. So, and it's amazing. Like we can talk about. I don't wear heels, so all my shoe game is is immaculate Saint Laurent boots and and the likes. But it, you know, I just I I think that I would hope that if nothing else people look at clueless and see it from more than the surface level which is what we could hope for as a society overall regardless of the cuteness my love of fashion the clothes i sincerely hope that people give things that they might not understand a more thorough thought through or a more thorough um consideration if you will Mm -hmm. than what they put their own prejudices towards and are unable to see outside of their negative connotation towards someone Absolutely. And I think that's a life lesson too, to not judge clueless by its cover, but also not to judge people. Um, Right before we hopped on, I was watching a video by one of my favorite authors. Her name is Kendra Hall. And she talks a lot about storytelling. And she was mentioning this time that there was this friend in her social circle that all of the other friends just started to oust. She was rubbing them all the wrong way. They kind of had just had it with her. She was being really cold and they couldn't really tell why. And they were like, why should we put up with this if she's going to act like this towards us? So Kendra actually took it upon herself to talk to this friend and ask her what she was going through and really get her backstory. And what she found out, I don't know the, the details of the story exactly, but whatever she told her, it really made Kendra see her in a whole new light. And she then became more patient with her and really gave their friendship another chance because she learned what was beneath the surface. So I think there's always more than what meets the eye in movies and books and in life. Absolutely. I think if if we can all just be more open-minded and accepting of others and less political in the sense of office politics, um, we get a lot more work done and we'd probably be happier people for it. And, you know, when you're hired as an expert for something or you're hiring someone to be an expert, please listen to them because you hired them for a reason and it's not for you to talk over them. It's for you to hear another perspective. And I think that, that, that again, it deals with the complexity of, of, of a vapid movie like Clueless. And I'm sure there are people who will watch it and will never get what I got out of it. And that's fine too. I'm not saying that you have to see what I see, but take into consideration that maybe there's a little bit more than we're used than we thought. Yes. Well, that being said, Clueless is on Netflix until 
August 31st. So if you're listening, everyone go and give it another watch. I think you'll see it in a whole new light this time, thanks to you, Julia. Thank you so much for coming on. I know you're a huge fan of this movie, and I knew we had to do this. And I'm so glad we made it happen. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me to do my first my, my, referred my first podcast <laughs> wow hmm. thank you for inviting me to do my first podcast um i hope that you know people enjoyed it and if you need to find me on the internet overly searchable so please don't be shy and say hi i'm happy to have a kiki about literally anything related to pop culture maybe not boy bands but everything in between <laughs> come to me for that <laughs> yes we, we have you for that for sure yeah so everyone go follow julia chesky uh i have all of her handles linked in the description and her website where you can see her awesome work but definitely reach out you guys can continue this conversation about clueless or all things pop culture i i thank anyone who wants to give me a moment of their time you don't have to as i've said it's a very crowded space so thank you for wanting to to hear what i think about anything absolutely and like i said you've just dropped so much wisdom today and I really hope you'll start your own podcast. I mean, you've invested in a microphone and everything now, so you've got to do it. So. I don't know. I think I'd scare too many people. <laughs> there's no. too much There's too much honesty. No, that's what the world needs. That's exactly what we've been saying this whole episode. So. Yeah, but people don't want to hire you when you're always honest. Trust me. Don't you, be as honest as I am. Protect yourselves a little bit. Use a different name. <laughs> I, my voice is too distinct. I wish, but yes, thank you so much again. And thank I you. If anyone has a pitchfork, come find me. Don't take it out on anyone else. I'm a gladly duel with you. <laughs> Nonsense. <laughs> All good. Thank you again, Julia. We'll have to do this again soon. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of your day. If you're a fan of this podcast, be sure to subscribe, or better yet, leave a review. You can also join my Twitter chat at hashtag popchat for weekly pop culture discussions you can actually learn from. If you have an idea for an episode, shoot me a DM at Brianne2K. As always, thanks for listening.